It's all good. It's all good. We had full trust in you, sir. And thank you so much for spending your time to uh, talk to us, especially seeing uh, as it's uh, Thanksgiving for today for you guys, right? Is it? Yeah, but yeah, but we're not doing, we're, we're just here like uh, me and my wife and, uh, and Jason from the band. We're just having a, just a small, small Thanksgiving. No, nice. It's actually, I mean, they turned it around to make it a, a pleasant sounding holiday. It's actually like Indian killing looking holiday. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, the whole history of the United States, you know, they make it, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But you know how it is. It's like Valentine's Day, all hearts and shit, is actually the day that commemorates when the fucking uh, American railroad workers striked back in the day when they were in danger service and they all got, a bunch of them got killed. That's like Valentine's Day. So every ugly thing that happens, they turn it into a nice, pleasant holiday. It does seem to be that way, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, and what about Christmas, you know, and all that stuff? <laughs> Pagan festival. 25th of December, oh man, that goes way, way back. That date, all the way back to like the sun god and shit. Oh. Well, I know. I just want to say why I can remember. Welcome to Facing the Crowd podcast. Thank you you're very speaking, much. Thank you're speaking you. to Perks and Hobo. Okay. We are right. honored to have you on, sir. Cool. Did you guys get a chance to listen to the new record? Is We just listened to the single that we could get on the, the Apple thing on the way over. Okay. Yeah, sounds great, mate. I should have had Claire. I should, I should have had Claire send you the whole record, but uh, but I can, I will. Oh, please do. Oh, I'd yeah, love, we'd love awesome, to man. hear it. Yeah, we, we just got... it's great, mate. Like, um, very catchy. Uh, your riffs are just phenomenal. I mean, how would you come up with that shit, man? Oh man, you know what? We just love to play. Like, like right. The reason I was like five minutes late is because we got into this jam. Me and my wife playing bass. We just set this little setup in the living room, you know, because Jason's here down from Canada for the weekend and so he brought his recording stuff so we're just working on riffs you know and when you're jamming sometimes they come you know i love the Amazing. fact that we're we're actually interrupting the obsessed jamming on riffs no it's okay <laughs> it's okay i'm supposed to be watching the clock you know we just got a little bit carried away yeah the riff compels you yeah that's right that's right you guys yeah. are in the uk right yeah that's right yeah yeah so yeah we're about 45 minutes from london yeah okay so cool. yes yeah, on the coast south end it's called I don't right know on. if you've heard of it, but yeah, it's all good, mate. I, I was just saying about London. I actually saw the Obsessed play the Desert Fest 2018. I was okay. there. Great. I think you played just before Graveyard, and I saw I Hate God as well. Same the same night. Right. Wow. That was a bloody good gig, mate. In Coco, yeah, we, we, do you remember Coco, you the venue? Thank you. What was which venue was it? Was that the Underworld? Oh, when you played at Coco, yeah. A Coco, yeah, Coco, yeah, 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 it was that game. That was a fucking fun. Oh yeah, that's right. We did support Graveyard. That's right. 
yeah, yeah. that place was real, man. That was really nice, really nice gig. Yeah, Big old ballroom. Yeah, the wick, wicked building as well, isn't it, Coco? Yeah. yeah, I got a chance to really dig into Graveyard. We played with them again uh, last last summer or last spring, and I got a chance to like check them out for you know like without having to bowl a pack gear, roll gear. There, yeah, they're pretty fucking amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah, like, we're doing their thing, you know that bluesy thing. They got it down. Yeah, okay. Coco's <laughs> is a cool venue too. Yeah. So if we could like totally rewind, we always ask like the people that come on the same question, like what was like the first gig you ever went to where you just paid some money to actually go and see a band? If, if you can remember who that was, like I know it's probably way back. The, the first uh, show that I paid for? Is that- yeah, you paid to go and watch someone first oh, ever time. Well, that was probably my very first show was uh, uh, my uh, my neighbor. She was uh, about seven years older than me. And I was, uh, I was 14, 14, I think. And she took me, we paid, we bought her tickets. She took me to see the James gang at the Shady Grove, uh, Maryland, this fest, this theater that it was in the round. So the stage would turn slowly, but, uh, uh, but it was right after Joe Walsh had left. So they were supporting the record, uh, straight shooter, which uh, it's a really cool record, man. It's like, I love uh, a couple of songs on the record. And it has a lot of good memories. That was my very first show. My second show was Black Sabbath. Uh, somewhere after they were already playing stuff off, uh, Master Reality. So it was Black Sabbath and they were supported by, uh, Edgar Winter's White Trash with Rick Derringer. Okay. So that was in like 70, 73, maybe. So my next show after that was Alice Cooper on the Killer Tour. Oh man. And they were supported by Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels, which was like, yeah, uh, Mitch Ryder and Detroit, the guitar player was, uh, Steve Hunter. You know, later on to become the famous duo on, on Lou Reed's thing, Rock and Roll Animal, it's Steve Hunter and Dick Wagner, right? Steve Hunter's band. And then, um, then my next after that was fucking, this is a monument. It was Blue Easter Cold on the Secret Treaties tour, supported by Nazareth, supporting Razmanaz. That show blew me away. Secret, I already loved Blue Easter Cold, but man, Nazareth, the fucking Scottish bombers. I mean, the most, you know, back in those days, they were like, I mean, they weren't that mainstream, but they were fucking hard fucking hitting. And that show, at that show, I saw some dude walk by me, and he had a military cap on, and he had home written with a ballpoint pen, ZZ Top. And I was like, what's ZZ Top? Nobody even knew who that was. So this dude was like the first dude I ever saw with anything <laughs> ZZ Top, hand penciled into his hat. So you got to figure whatever year that was. I think they probably just come out with, I don't, I don't know what year uh, Rio Grande Mud came out, their second record, but I would imagine it's, you know, early 70s. Right, that's, that's yeah, a good yeah. spin-off of some seriously good gigs there. Because yeah, for, <laughs> for many years they they never toured outside Texas. That's I believe yeah. they they wouldn't wouldn't leave Texas, right? Right. I, I, I don't, don't think, know. I think, I think they, they need to. I think they had the whole of Texas watching them at every gig. When they had a uh, when uh you know uh, song about the whorehouse. Got a lot of nice girls. that song Oh, Lagrange, Lagrange. That's it. Lagrange, yeah. Yeah. That was their hit, right? Third record. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of so like their breakthrough, I suppose. Now they're a fucking disco band, practically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Almost. <laughs> I've never got to see them. I've always wanted to, but I mean, they don't come, they hardly ever come over here. So, you know. It's... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a shame about, uh, shame about Dusty Hill, man. Yeah. Yeah. But they, I mean, they didn't miss a beat, though. They, you know, they're back at it. Dude's got a long beard and everything. Yeah, that's right. Was it, <laughs> was, it, was it his son or something took over? I can't. 
Was it his? Well, how did he die? No, was it his son that took over? Or was no? Was it like a guitar tech or something? No, I don't know. I think I'm not really sure. I can't remember actually. It might have been a heart attack, maybe. Oh, okay. Yeah, my my uh, my father had the uh, Eliminator album. You know the one that was massive on MTV. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That yeah. was that. That's just been drilled into me when I was younger. I still so love what, that album what, now. What, you what, know, his legs off that song. Legs, um, give me all your loving. Yeah. Sharp, sharp dressed man. I think's on it. Oh, I yeah. mean, sharp dressed man. That's great. Fucking man. brilliant. It's brilliant. It's Even that. There's right? one at the end called like TV dinners. Really slow one. It's really that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah. that one. They're very cool, man. I always like the way that he. He over he layered his guitars, you know, like he'd play the riff and then he'd like do like a harmony of a fifth, you know, just on a part of the riff, you know, hammering on there. Like first record, man, the first record is so fucking so good. Raw, you know, but really great. Yeah, it's easy time. All right. <laughs> Amazing band. What about the uh, what about the first gig you ever played? First gig I ever played. What was that uh, like? I got asked to sing the rover. By Led Zeppelin, by this kind of cover band that played at the junior high school, and then uh, my first professional gig, uh, we had the Obsessed together already, and we had another guitar player. We were kind of weird. We were like, we'd play like a few rock and roll covers, but we were still doing originals. Like Decimation was still back. I had Decimation and Blind Lightning and stuff back then. But uh, I started dating this girl. She was a bartender at this little bar in D.C. Right, right. It was like a wine cellar. This bar with a little stage. It was underneath this gigantic fucking like meat market, like pickup joint, you know, huge. They do wet t-shirt concerts and all this shit, right? So she goes, go in there about 530. He's going to, the dude, owner's going to be setting up the chairs. It's like an ex uh, outlaw motorcycle gang dude that she knew because she had a bar there. So I went down there with a man, you know, hauled ass down there in my van. I had this really nice, our press kit, you know, they didn't, you didn't have electronic press kits in those days. It was all on paper, you know? So I had yeah. a little folder. I went in there like, you know, Presented myself to the dude. He says, okay, I'll give you a shot. But you're going to have to play three 45-minute sets. Whoa. Right? So we had to put that together. I mean, we had we played a pretty good mixture of, like, really eclectic covers. Like, we would do Dead Boys, Caught With Me In Your Mouth. We're Dead Boys, Sonic Producers. And then we would play, like, uh, uh, Search and Destroy. We'd play Sweet Little 16. Our version, we'd play Your Blues. And then we'd play a bunch of originals. Yeah, but we had to kind of... We didn't have enough material at that time to play three 45-minute sets of originals. But that was like right during the punk era because I remember Wendell Blow, the bass player for Iron Cross, he would come down because he liked our originals, but they fucking hated when we played our punk rock covers, you know. He's a hardcore DC punk, so you couldn't stand it, but they were still there yelling out for a decimation and shit. So, you know, those are pretty wild days. Wow. Three forty-five minute sets straight away. I mean, that's there's pressure not, in it. There's not many bands who can even do that. Like after like four or five albums, like you know, have yeah. enough great material to play. I mean, that's, you figure the guy's not really, you know, the guy might say he's selling music, but he's really selling alcohol. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. He's there yeah. to just get people to drink. You know, basically. Did it go well? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It went well, I mean, we 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 cemented ourselves in with this dude, so then we would get pretty regular slots and. You know, it got to be a little tedious after a while, you know, because we weren't making much money on a Wednesday night, three forty-five minute sets. Everybody's got to work in the morning. You know, one time I made the mistake of tripping. That, that that's, I just don't like that. Uh, I don't like to be tripping really and try to do a professional gig. That that was hard. It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> tripping out. <laughs> what set am I on? <laughs> right, everything sounds out of tune. Yeah. But... <laughs> How funny. 
what about when you joined some fighters and um you know you recorded born born too late album how was that like just coming into that fold and recording with those guys i mean obviously a long time ago but that's like a cult classic album now isn't it you know what i mean yeah yeah it's pretty amazing story um actually the guys in from sst like uh SST signed St. Vice, and that was, like, really, like, weird. You know, that was kind of a weird thing for them to do. They were, like, going for, like, they wanted to get out, get off of, like, the, the punk thing and, you know, to branch their label out or whatever, I guess. So they signed St. Vitus. And, uh, you know, St. Vitus had the, the old singer. So uh, Ian McKay was the one who told me, he said, man, you should really check out this band from California, St. Vitus. They're on SST. He said, it's right up your alley. Kind of a Sabbathy type band, you know. So I got the first record, and I, I totally dug it, you know. Rieger's voice was hard to get used to, but I totally dug it. So, uh, so they're, so they're on tour now. They're on tour with uh, this band, The Brood, which was a drummer for Suicidal's project band. So they come through, they're supposed to be playing in Baltimore. So for some reason, so we all go down there and see them. So for some reason, it's a long story involved with them, but they left their singer behind by accident and they got all screwed up. So they didn't make the show, but they did pull into town and they needed a place to crash. And so one of my friends took them over to his place. And while they were there, he played them the obsessed. Right. So then the next, then on their makeup show, they came back through, they played some places in DC. And this time they, they were able to get there. We went down to see him. The singer at the end of the night, the singer said, listen, I'm planning on leaving, man. You would be the perfect fucking guy to replace me because you, know, you kind of sound like Ozzy got that kind of Sabbath feel, you know? So I was into that idea because I was ready. I was stagnating, you know, out, out in Maryland. I wanted to get the fuck out. So I was ready to join St. Vitus, you know, but at the time, I was coming off my glam rock phase. I still had like a little bit of kind of a pineapple haircut, you know. <laughs> and Chandler said, uh-uh, you look like a, you know. So I was like, I told him, I said, believe me, man, that was just a phase. I'm ready to fucking, I'm ready to get down and dirty. But I, he kind of like put me off, you know. And so like, I really wasn't taking no for an answer. Like I already made up my mind. I was doing take by this. Move to California. So I start this kind of process of kind of just, Hammering him for an answer, yes or no, yes or no. And finally, I, I was outside and I saw this the the geese, the geese flying in the V. I was like, "That's it, man! I'm just moving to LA." So basically, I told him I'm coming out there no matter what. So I went out there, had a bunch of, I had money saved up, so I bought a vehicle, got a job, and uh, you know, basically, I took my tuner out with me because I knew from experience that I have to the obsessed we tune a half step down from standard because for my voice, like. In standard, like I just can't hit what I want to hit, you know. So I took my strobe tuner out there with me, and I put little p- pieces of tape so those guys would know where to tune to. I said, if you don't mind from my audition, would you mind tuning the half step down? You know, guitar bass just fits my range better. So I got them to do that, but it was, you know, it was like pulling teeth. I had to get, you know, I had to, you know, they're pretty primitive characters. So once I did that, though, it all fell into place. You know, and what people don't know about, so we rehearsed like. Six days a week at this dude, uh, their, one of their friends had this little shed in the backyard, small PA, this little shed. And like, we would, we would fill it up with beer cans. Like it was like knee deep in Budweiser can. But I will say this, what a lot of people don't realize is I don't get it right. Much of those lyrics at all. Chandler wrote Born Too Late, the whole song, lyrics and everything. He wrote Dying Inside, but I can identify with those songs. So, you know, in order for me to sing those songs, I had to be able to, to identify the songs, which, which I did. And that's why that I wasn't on uh, Children of Doom because I just didn't like the material. And, you know, at that time, things were kind of falling apart. 
little bit with personalities and all, but, but you know, people always think that I wrote the lyrics before too late or that I wrote Dying Side, but I didn't. But uh, but we walked the walk, though, that's for sure. You went straight in and was straight into that six days rehearsal sort of thing. As soon as you got to California, you you met up with them and it just was like six days rehearsing straight away re- repeatedly yeah. until you started playing. We were like just, a fucking well clipped. old machine. This was like 1987. So we were like a well old machine. And we got a gig with our first tours with mentors because they were on Metal Blade. Right. So they, you know, they said, hey, you guys want the SST dudes are like, do you want to, you know, tour with mentors? And we were like, fuck yeah, that'd be great. Because we already knew knew them, you know. El Duce was a, kind of a local guy. Like, he'd come around and, you know, sit around in your apartment and drink all your beer and shit until you, you had to kick him out, you know. But, so we went on towards the mentors and, like, you know, they were fucking up constantly. Cause they were just completely, they were completely loose in every way. Like, they wouldn't even, they get paid and they wouldn't even consider money for gas to the next game. They wouldn't even consider that. They would just immediately start partying, you know. <laughs> like, so like a couple times they'd miss shows and but we'd get to you know the promoter would be like well where are they we'd be like i don't know can you guys play an extra set i'll give you another 200 bucks we we would so a couple of nights we had to play longer because mentors didn't even make it but all in all we were just we were like a machine man it's like you know and uh yeah and that was the early days i mean when i joined that band i knew there wasn't going to be any money i joined it because i love the music and i, I full knew we were going to struggle i was ready I was ready to struggle, man. Yeah, because that's the music we love. And that's the, it gave me the feeling uh, that music, you know, gives me the feeling like of the, no, no other, you know. Just ready to get in the trenches just to play that music. Just yeah. play that music, man. Good, I, I, man. I moved to DC, moved out to LA, started working. I, I, I guess I answered an ad for a construction job and I became the laborer, but I got real lucky because it was between me and this other dude. And then, when the other dude went to shake the dude's hand, it was, you know, between me and him, the boss, he gave him kind of a limp fish, you know, and I stripped his hand and he told me later, he said, I hired you on the strength of your handshake. Cause that dude handed me a limp fish. Cause I couldn't tell you, you guys were right equal, but man, you shook my hand like a man. So I got the gig. And it turns out that it was a, they were building a $4.4 million restaurant by gutting. So this dude was like, I just suddenly I was into this big restaurant. Uh, construction company, like, not like rinky-dink shit, like, $4 million restaurants, you know, cherry wood panels, four types of rye whiskey at the bar, like, the whole, and so it was pretty cool, so after a little while, this guy's a French-Canadian dude, my boss, right, so so, after a little while, he's like, going, man, y'all coming around that corner pretty fast, me, me and the other la- labor, this Mexican dude that I met, you know, and he was, like, way skilled, but he was a total, like, he'd been in prison, he was, like, he was messed up in his mind, you know, but he liked me, and I liked him. So, like, we were kicking ass, you know. And they, the boss is like, man, every time I see you guys, you're, like, moving pretty fast. He goes, can you get me some dangerous drugs? So, <laughs> after we, after he broke that ice with us, then that's all I did from then on. All I did was score drugs after that. I didn't have to work anymore. He'd pay me an eight-hour day, give me gas, and give me the money for the drugs, that I'd go to San Diego, score the drugs, and come back. That was that was, that was was my new job. Oh, that, yeah, was, man. that was pretty fucking cool. I was making a lot of money, man. But, I, but, then, but you know, when that, that job moved – to San Francisco, Vice was still in LA, and so I was like, "Well, I don't want to quit." But I was making so much money, so I'll just fly to San Francisco, live there, and fly back for rehearsals. But you know, it was yeah, that was I don't know. The wheels were falling off the wagon, kind of at that point. And that's right around that time is when when I left. You know, but uh, you know, you know, Vitus was my biggest fan. Vitus took me, you know, to the places I'd never been before. 
But I just was like, man, uh, you know, I love that band. I was, that band was instrumental in building my whole, my whole trip, you know, and like, unfortunately, you know, David, there, there was professional jealousy with David right out of the gate because I played guitar mm-hmm. because the bass player, Mark Adams wanted me to play guitar in Vitus, which I did. I did play guitar briefly. It's in the, in the documentary. You can see some shots of me playing guitar in St. Vitus. You know, we, I'd sing a couple of songs, like five songs. Then I pick up the guitar play a couple of mournful cries and then I put it down and, and sing some more. I thought it was heavier than hell, you know, but some dude in America, some drunk guy came up to me after the show, the Chandler was standing right next to me, right next to me talking to somebody else. And this guy was like, says, uh, man, you smoke Chandler on guitar. Dude. And it, you know, it was so tactless of this guy. With it, and it was just so, I never wanted to sing. I, I didn't want to play guitar in a band anymore after that. Said, Fuck it. I'm just going to be saying this, this is, you know, I don't need this drama. Like David was already weird about it, so that's why you know David would never play anything off really off Mortal Cries except maybe the Troll. But you know, yeah. But hey, it is what it is. I mean, he didn't realize he didn't realize that I had his back the whole fucking time. You know, yeah. Like I told him right before I got popped in Scandinavia. Like we actually bonded the night before. We actually had a really fucking great talk. We really bonded, and I told him I said. For the last 20 years, you don't, you haven't even realized it, but man, I got your back. You know, when your cabinet's unplugged and you're going, what's up? I'm the one fucking plugging your cabinet in front of fucking 10,000 people. You know what I mean? That kind of shit. Like I had his back. Like I was his dude. Like, but he never realized that, you know, I don't know why. Why, why, man? He always felt like that I was against him or something, but I mean, I'm a team player, you know. Do you still talk to those guys much? What's that? Do you still talk to those guys much? Um, we every now and then. I mean, we asked him permission for the Vitus stuff in the documentary, and he was real cool about it. You know, Mark died. That was, when when Mark died, that was really a, and it was really fucking sad. First of all, I mean, out of all the people in Vitus, I thought he was going to be the one that would have you know, save the money, be successful. When I, you know, when everything is said and done, he'd still be, you know, have his house and have his, all that shit. But actually, it wasn't that way, which is really fucking weird, man. Really weird. When he died, they were like they were like penniless, like. Mm. But I never got a chance to say goodbye to him. But I did write a song for him, uh, the song at the bottom of, of the bottle, I'm, "I'm Forever Gone." So, that's my that's my tribute to Mark Adams. All right, nice, 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 mate. Well, that's what you do, man. As a musician, right? You yeah. You because know. there's something he said, like you know, on the buckle night, he said that my daddy told me that the song's at the bottom of the bottle. So that was, so he told me that that was the inspiration, you know. Yeah. No, that's nice, mate. That's nice, and it's a great song as well. So. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, it, it sucks. It sucks when people die. Like, but it's strange because all these bass players in my career have died. Mm. John Black from Punctuating Equilibrium died. Uh, Dave Sherman died. Spirit Caravan. Bruce Falkenberg, bass player for Hidden Hand, died. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, man, it's yeah. hard, isn't it? Because like you, you know, these people become like your family, don't they? Yeah, yeah. it's it's very hard. Sherman, you spend so much time with them. Sherman, Sherman, Sherman thing with Sherman was weird, man. It's like, you know, things fell apart for him. He had a failed uh, relationship, and then his mom put him on antidepressants. And after that, she put him on antidepressants. He shaved his head and hung himself. Hmm. Hmm. It's the problem, isn't it, with these with these so pills? Worked, didn't it? For a lot of people, these, it, these pills that, make you worse before you get better. I think so. I think so. I mean, he never was like that, you know. I wish he, you know, I wish he would call me or whatever. But bottom line is, that was really fucking heavy. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mom's still alive. I mean, he was at his mom's house. So it's like I I finally talked to her not that long ago, and she's cool. I mean, we're me and her are cool. Like I'm 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 cool with everybody. Like no bad bad blood with any any people in the past really at all. I mean, there's a couple couple people on the fringe that I fucking really dislike, but you know, we'll put I'm putting all that in the book. <laughs> nice. Are you writing a book? I'm writing a book. Oh, amazing. Yeah. People always say that, yeah, you got great <clears> stories. <throat> you should write a book. So I write a book. So right now it's all the all the crazy adventures. So now I got to put the music in there. Yeah, oh, mate. Oh, brilliant! So keep us posted on that. Oh god, that I did. I actually great. um I bought the uh, documentary yeah. off your off your link and watched it. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's put together really well. I really enjoyed it. You did cool. Yeah, did. like. But you see yourself in uh, sort of like laying down in back of trucks and stuff, still playing gigs and stuff. I mean, it's total commitment, isn't it? But you, yeah. you, you'll do anything to play a show. Yeah, and that get, was to get to anywhere day. where you where you can. You know, obviously, yeah. the, obviously, you do have. That's, other all, time. that's all we could get, man. The pandemic. Nobody had any vehicles. Or yeah, nobody had any exactly. Yeah, you just know, did it. Kind of crazy. You know, that's kind of crazy. I told Shirley, I said. I said, maybe you should have put, you know, explain that because just that's like bottom of the barrel, like traveling. Yeah. Yeah. But it just proves that you'll do it. I mean, you've obviously got nicer ways to get around, but you still, when you view it, when you have to, you, you will get in there and you will come out and you will play no matter what, which I thought was fucking awesome. That's what we do. That's what we do. I mean, that's what I live for. I mean, basically, you know, when you're playing rock and roll, you always got to get up and go. I mean, you can you can never really learn to trade. I mean, I've done a lot of jobs, but you know, I've never had time in one place to like learn to trade, you know, or something like that. Um, you know, music. So the music is what what I do. You know, and my kids. You know, like my my daughter. I just went to see her in a play. She got the lead role of Sandy in that movie Grease. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So you know, she's you know teenager in in high school. I went down and saw that production, which is great. She's got a voice like an angel, but I would never try to tell her that she should follow, that she should make a career in, in rock and roll. If she wants to, I'll coach her as best I can. But if she doesn't want to, I'm not going to push it, man, because it's a fucking dirty fucking business. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's yeah. the footage of you you, you and your um, children all playing together and singing together. Yeah. That, I mean, that did you teach those guys how to play? Did they learn themselves? Um, a little bit, a little bit, like um, a little bit. But my oldest son, like man, he's fucking. He was fucking playing. I showed him that shit that that very day that when me and him were just jamming, jamming at the end. Like he's fucking amazing. He's he's writing. Me, he basically just took it and ran with it. And my middle son is actually a good guitar player now. Like he wasn't as much then, but now he he picked up the guitar. Man, I've given him all guitars, amplifiers, microphone. <laughs> yeah, I gave my oldest son a Les Paul and an SG, like totally built. Amplifier. I give my son to Dan Electro. You know, I, I try to pamper my. I give my my daughter this cool little Tysco electric. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's yeah. nice, man. It's like I, I've told this story before, but I'll tell you anyway. But like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a guitarist myself, and I've got like quite a few Les Pauls and things. And I was really looking forward to when when I had my son. I was looking forward to handing them down to him. Right, um, and then um, he only come out left handed, didn't he? Oh really? Yeah. Well, you know that, that's it's so strange because when I very first the very first time I ever even touched a guitar, when I picked it up, I wanted to fret with my dominant hand, which is my right hand. Yeah. I, I, I write with my right hand. I'm right-handed. So, but when I picked the guitar up initially, 
what I wanted to do was fret with my right hand. And mm-hmm. somebody, you know, you hold it like this. So I thought that was strange at first. So, I mean, I get it now, but, you know. It's I mean, weird. It's what is, what's it's that? strange, isn't it? Because, like, you've got, like, um, I think like um like Kurt Cobain was like right handed, but he used to he taught himself to play left handed because he used to watch videos of Jimi Hendrix. It's pretty right. crazy, isn't it? Like however yeah. you start playing, that's how you're going to perfect your playing, I suppose. Uh, are we froze up? Are we still there? You know, uh, oh. interesting. If Scott Reader, yeah, he played left handed, but he didn't restring the bass. Right. So he plays with the, the thinner strings on top. Right. That was yeah. really strange. So when I'm showing him song, we we're showing each other song. We our headstocks, you know, would be would be the same place, yeah. just neck and neck, you know. <laughs> normally, normally the other guy's headstocks here, and you're, you know, what I mean, that was strange. I don't see how he can play like that, man. That's he, crazy. How can he play that good with the bass upside down without restringing it? Yeah, that's, that's so weird. Crazy. I can't okay. even imagine that. That's, yeah, that's He's just crazy. Dominant man, like that's how he learned. You know, Scott yeah. Kelly's the same way. Kelly's the same way from the reverse. It's like. He, he learned in this weird drop detuning. Mm. That's all he uses. Like, he'll transpose everything I would show him. Like, if I showed him something in a regular tuning, you know, he would transpose it to his tuning. Like, that's what he does. I mean, you know, that's what's so cool about playing with other people. What they bring to the table, like, they might think it's super simple to them. But to me, I'd be like, wow, strange timing. Schreiber is like that, you know. Yeah. You know, everybody says I write in weird timings, but I think that everybody has their own little groove, you know. So when somebody's showing you their song, like, man, sometimes you really gotta, really gotta get with, get in the head to fucking hear the rhythm, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about the new album then, the, like the recording process. What was that like? Uh, well, we added another guitar player, um, Jason from Sierra. Uh, best decision I made all year for, for the last couple of years for sure. I mean, great guy, virtuoso. He's here jamming uh, today. But uh, basically, what it is is uh, we get, he brings his recording stuff over, and me and him get together, and I show him my ideas. He shows me his ideas. We start stuff that I don't have ranged. I run it by him. We 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 kick ideas, we arrangement ideas together, put the words together, and finally get a demo of the tune. So we get a demo, tune. then we send that to Brian, a drummer. We send it to the bass player, okay, and then he tabs out, writes tablature out for the bass player, and then um. Basically, we all we all meet at my house in the mountains. Every, everybody lives in a different state. So Chris lives in Florida, Brian lives in Maryland, Jason lives in Canada, and I live in New York State. So we all meet here. Everybody sleeps here, eat here, big family. Everybody lives here while we do what we're going to do, either re- rehearse songs to record or rehearse to go out on tour. Mm-hmm. And then we leave here, you know. So that's what we did to start the process. And then um, we recorded it with Frank Marchand, who is uh, – same cat that we did Sacred with. He's an amazing engineer, but he's also an amazing live sound guy. So, like, he's got it all. Like, he's got a total command of the digital realm, total command of Pro Tools, and but he's got a fucking orgy of analog shit. Les Pauls, you know, 50 different snare drums, all, like, really super high quality. You know, the, the $10,000 Norman for singing. You know, all the best shit. That he's got, so he's got the best of both worlds, like analog and digital, you know. So, so he really knows what he's doing. He mixes in a big open room. He mixes loud, and uh, but he knows what he's fucking doing, man. Like, so we'll sit in the control room, usually, okay. But we'll all put on our headphones. And Brian, the drummer's sealed off, you know. Drummer's sealed. He's all mic'd up in his own sealed room, 
no bleed, basically hardly any bleed at all coming out of there. And then the bass amp is in a whole nother room. No bleed coming from that. And then the guitar amps are in another room too. So everything is like isolated. Then we yep. wear headphones. <clears throat> and it sounds kind of rinky dink in the headphones, but you realize all you're doing is going for a drum track. Yep. So we go through the songs where we can look at each other with headphones on until we get a good drum track. Once you got a good drum track, that's what, that's all you need. That's the basis. And after that, once we got the drum track, then we sit down and Chris, you know, you, going with the, with the scratch tracks we just did or whatever, he'll lay down a bass line. And then once the bass line's on there, then me and Jason start filling it up with rhythm guitars and doing solos and stuff like that. And then when we get tired of doing guitar type stuff, you know, after a day or two, I'll start singing. Like, so we'll do some guitar and then sing some at the end of the day, whatever it might be. So we don't get burned out on doing one thing, you know. But we'll just sit there right in the chair, sometimes with no headphones, and he'll play. He's got good enough monitors where he, we'll hear the monitors. And I'll just be sitting right next to Frank. And he's running the, you know, running the fucking Pro Tools, just doing our thing right there, have the pedal board right there, and just you know, listen to the music coming through the speakers. I mean, it's the best way to do it, I think. You know, yeah. the headphones can be weird sometimes. Headphones can be tricky because you're not really hearing. It has to be really good quality for them to translate what you're really hearing. You know? Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, what you're really playing, I should say. Mm, yeah. So yeah, so we did that, and like we just we, he makes he has a chalkboard, and he writes the titles of the songs down, and then he has little columns, you know, vocals, rhythm, lead, and we just make check marks until they're done. We just check them off. So that's what we did. Nice, nice. Oh, we're yeah. very excited about hearing it. Uh, what's, okay. what's the release date over here? February. February. Yeah. <clears throat> Not sure Excellent. when in February. I think uh, I think mid February. But pre-order, we should be getting our vinyl any day. They, they shipped it to us already, so we'll have the records in hand. And I think it, it looks it's cool, man. We uh, we found uh, this weird French sculptor, Emile Brunel, and he uh, he emigrated or somehow migrated out this way to the Catskill Mountains, and he bought this little place and had a sculpture park. Right, and basically they're Native American, Native American inspired. He was really inspired by Native American culture as a French guy. That's why he came out in the first place. And so he built a couple. One of the statues is what we use for the cover. Uh, cool. Like a Native American kind of like, you know, reaching for the for the, for the sky. And uh, yeah, we went up there and shot some pictures of it. And uh, and the caretaker is this cool guy. Russian couple, Russian guy married to an American lady. And this guy's got a green thumb. Like he's got this, any kind of all these exotic plants, like that are not native to up here. He's got in the sculpture garden. So when we decided to go up there, surely knew about it. We went up there and looked around. I was like, man, it's pretty cool. Pretty wild. You know, so we decided, okay, let's go up there and see if we can get a couple good pictures because, you know, the name of the record is Gilded Sorrow. Like the initial idea was just, you know, like a weeping angel, like a graveside angel. We just were like, man, it's just too fucking dark. It's too cliche. <laughs> And it's too fucking dark, you know. We did. We wanted to got really something to catch the eye. You know, the cover's got to be fucking important, man. The cover is important, you know. So when we we found this sculpture park, we used that came out really well. And then we sent the once we picked out the design or the picture, we sent it to Jason's friend uh, Bill, who's an English guy, who's digital collage. And so he put it together, you know, with his ideas and with our framework put together an amazing cover. And then the pullout is a, is a full page collage that Brian did of stained glass, like our drummer, he does stained glass. So it's, it's the obsessed in like a mosaic basically. 
So that's a beautiful nice. picture of that. That's one side, and the other side is uh, lyrics. Oh, brilliant! So all in all, man, I think it came out it came out good. I'm really proud of it, proud of it. Yeah, cat skills. Yeah, that's we yeah. the guy on here, um, Jesse from Kill Switch Engage. That's where he lives. Up in, oh yeah, yeah, he yeah, lives yeah. in the cat skills. Yeah, you know what city? I think he lives in Woodstock, doesn't he? Woodstock, yeah, Woodstock. Oh, really? Okay, that's yeah. cool. I'll ask around. Like I know people there. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, a lot of people live, move out here. You know, Doctor No from Bad Brains out here. You know, the, the whole like Grateful Dead, uh, but mainly the band. That band, you know, the bands, the band, band, or whatever from the day. Robbie Robertson and the band. All that. Yeah, not, oh, not really the key, but I mean they're super famous out here because this was their stomping grounds. You know, of course, of course. There must be a great. There must still be a great music scene there right there is there is and there think about it is there's not many cool venues you know right right like a lot of people a lot of the cool venues like went under when they when the lockdown and all that shit yeah yeah of course man we lost a lot of pubs and stuff yeah yeah so like they're out here right now like uh there was two there was two kind of small places to play one i'm still open i went down and saw heavy temple there the other night uh Sun Voyager, a couple of good bands. Um, there's, you know, there's bigger places like more commercial national act places, you know, but uh, there's a few places, but, you know, far and few between in this area, you know. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But, what you know, about, New York. So, what about, um, you know, how things changed in the way that all music seems to be promoted on social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, and all that? How has that affected you, Wino, in, in in any way um, for promoting and promoting gigs? And even, I know you just went through your recording process and that seems pretty organic um, and, you know, the, the old school way, but with a, a modern twist to it. But is it is it like, is it a pain for you that where everything's just gone digital or is it you can deal with it? Well, that's a good question because, in my opinion, promoters have got super lazy. All they have to do is fucking put out a post on Facebook about the gig. You know, people used to buy, like, they'd buy a quarter page ad in a magazine or the local city paper. They'd take out a fucking ad in the city paper, you know, and they'd have a team flyer the fuck out of places, you know, go to bigger shows and put flyers out. I mean, so nowadays it's all social media. I mean, which is cool. I mean, it, it, it's cool. We've reached once the, I don't really didn't have a command of the social media thing in the early, early obsessed days. You know, up to pretty recently, but once we got Jason in the band, and then my wife also, they both grew up with computers. You know, like I didn't grow up with computers. Like we didn't have cell phones and stuff. When you know, when I was a teenager and when I was in in my youth, you know, we didn't have you know, so nobody had a cell phone, nobody had a PC or personal computer. So, but those you know, Jason especially has a really good. You know, he knows what to do. He knows where to post, when to post. You know, and so, and so that's really cool. So we we've seen our numbers go up. I mean, I think it's the way it's the way of the future. I mean, it, it's I mean, way of the future. It's the way. You know what I mean? The days of yeah. flyers. Are pretty you ain't going to change it back, are you? No one's going to change it back. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's still like when when me and Shirley got married. I, we we uh, I got the black envelopes and black paper. And we our invitation. You would get our invitation in the mail, snail mail, and it had a big blob of sealing wax with our with the big W on the fucking envelope. You know, and we had, you know, so it was cool. So you get this black envelope with this big, cool. blob, like ceiling wax with, with our, you know, that's old school. <laughs> that is so old school. school. 
but, but more exciting when you get a, a, an invitation like that of a blob of, yeah, right? of, of wax on it, you know, instead yeah, of just, power just, just, just yeah. a, like a, an email, rather it's not, just yeah, an email yeah, saying our wedding and the date. That's yeah. <laughs> shit, isn't it? <laughs> you should see this. Like we had them all lined up for like literally melting the wax with the torch. I'd beat a blob on there and surely you go, next one. <laughs> yeah, cool. The only yeah. letters I get through the post these days are bills. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's something I always wanted to do. I always wanted to send out, you know, a black envelope, just all black with the fucking big old fucking like medieval seal on it. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, pretty good. I can't complain really about much. You know, it's pretty yeah. Good. So um, you so you roll you're rolling with the internet. That's what you're saying is you've accepted yeah. it and we're rolling with it. And I think you have to, isn't it? It's got to be good yeah. for like I know you're saying promoters are getting lazy and stuff, but. Just to reach so many people with the tour dates and just one click is unreal, isn't it? It's unreal. It's unreal. And, and, you know, once we got a command of it, we saw our numbers go up. I mean, you know, that's how people, the worst thing in the world is somebody comes to your show and says, man, I didn't even find out about this gig until tonight. You know, people always tell me that. I'm like, okay, so what's the disconnect here? Is the person just out of it or is the person not seeing what he needs to see? You know what I mean? And so that's, that's what, that's involved your booking agent. And your the way you promote, you know. So we we uh, we changed booking agents, and we got we have management now. So you know, as of about two weeks ago, we've got brand new management. We have a brand new American booking agent. So I mean, we're looking to you know we want to hit it really hard when the record comes out, and we want to we want to make as big a splash as possible. You gotta come to the UK. Oh, we're yeah, coming we're to the UK for sure. We're definitely coming to the UK, and I think I'm coming to the UK to uh, do some acoustic shows too. Amazing. Tour, as much as they're going to let us tour, we're going to tour next year. You know? Why not, man? Let us, you know, if they don't fucking make you have like, you know, fucking, you know, fucking some kind of, you know, anal swab for monkey pox or whatever, you know, <laughs> then, then we'll be there, you know? Yeah. So well, I, I wanted to ask you as well, because obviously um, a lot of your solo stuff is, is kind of mostly acoustic. Um, do you write do you write your solo stuff kind of in the same way as you write for the obsessed? I suppose what I'm trying to ask is does a lot of the obsessed stuff start off as acoustic, acoustic riffs? Some, some do just kind of out of necessity. Like if I have a riff, if I play acoustic and I get a riff, you know, then I think a heavy riff, then I might, you know, learn it or, or record it from with the acoustic, knowing that I'm going to be a, a heavy song later. Like the stuff that I write just for the acoustic, I actually approach it a little bit. As as it's going to be an acoustic song, mm. um, you know, the, and the way the way I write is, I usually get a concept. I usually have a concept, like a slogan. Like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm into slogans, you know. But like a concept, for example, like uh, uh, "Forever Gone" or you know, the song at the bottom of the bottle, whatever the concept is, and then I I, I put a, a master riff to that concept, you know, master riff, and then I, I fill in the lyrics. If all of those three lyrics, concept, and music happen all at once, that's what I call the divine inspiration. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does sometimes. When you get that beam, it's like the whole song right then and there. That's fucking magic, you know? But usually, usually I'll be finessing the lyrics maybe all the way up until the studio, possibly. Like one word, you know, changing one word or one line. I mean, I'll have a piece of paper all over around the mic, you know, you know, if I'm taking notes. These days, you know, with, with the lockdown, with the way things went, started to become more or less that we lived together, that we lived in the same state, and so we would rehearse three nights a week, 
And then we would take our new songs out on the road and road test them before we recorded them. That's what Spear Caravan used to do. We don't really have that luxury anymore. It's to, you know, to be able to rehearse as a band, you know, three or four nights a week and then do enough live show to take those songs out before we record them. So some stuff we, we rehearse, we write, rehearse, and then go to the studio without ever playing them live. Some stuff. But we, we do take some stuff out. Like we've been playing Daughter of an Echo. We've been playing It's Not Okay. We've been playing Stoneback to the Bomb Age. Two of those are, are singles. You're going to, you're going to see that next single released at the end of this month. Um, we're doing three, three singles, released three singles. It's not okay. Bomb age and, um, uh, uh, another song called Realize a Dream. So, so, you know, um, yeah. And yeah. it's all on the new label now, isn't it? The, the we're on Ripple. Yeah. 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 Is that, so is did you have issues with the other label or did it just come to an end and just? I don't think we sold enough records for relapse. I don't right. think we did. And, and and one of their prerequisites when they signed us, or when, you know, Rennie signed the obsessed, you know, it was imperative that we would be able to go to Europe. Now, but we should have been able to go to Europe. But I wasn't allowed in Europe, even though I had a five-year ban. It was six because Norwegians did all this fucking intentional fuckery by just filing all, everything late, and they made they turned a five-year ban into a six-year ban. So I was banned from 17 countries for fucking five years, technically. So when that band was up, I, you know, I, t- I told Relapse, yeah, I'll be able to go to Europe. I should have been able to go to Europe, but through all the technical shit, I couldn't. And that could have been a contributing factor to that. I, I'm not, I don't think we sold enough records. Right, okay. And why was you banned again? It's cool. I'm not sorry. I just had that. Was. I was banned. Yeah. Why uh, or where? How, why did that come about? The band? Uh, because uh, the last thing by this tour I did, I got arrested in Norway with uh, 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 11 grams of speed. Oh, shit. Yeah, they get the ump about that. <laughs> and Norway. Norway, especially. <laughs> yeah, they, they fucking, uh, uh, they deported me. Oh, God. Now, that's a whole other story, man. With these, <laughs> like, young kid cops, you know, playing close cops who watch me. It's like, uh, it's, there's some funny stories, I mean. That's one for the book, man. But you you must have some amazing tour stories. Let's hear your best one. Let's hear your best one. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one that's, that's English, England related. Yeah, yeah, I love it. The first St. Vitus tour we did, we, we Cathedral was supporting us. And, you know, nobody knew, really knew who Cathedral was. Um, they did get signed to Columbia, though, with us, you know, a little bit later. But here they are. Like, nobody, they're still, you know, it's Dorian, Gaz. They had another guitar player and some other cats, right? So, um, St. Vitus. So we come over there and, um, there's nobody at the English shows. There's nobody at the English shows and we don't see any posters. And we're like, who's paying us tonight? Well, there's one promoter doing all these shows, right? Like four English shows or whatever we played. Uh, you know, we played fucking London. We played, uh, their hometown, which is, uh, Coventry. And we played, you know, I think we played, uh, Birmingham, Birmingham, maybe Leeds. Like, but there's nobody in the shows, no posters anywhere. And the promoter was not turning up to pay us. Nobody's paying us. So finally, everybody's like, the cathedral dude's like, he's going to be at the last show. He's going to be at the last English show. So he shows up and he owes us all this money. And I'm like, dude, where's our money? And he goes, oh, well, I've got, maybe I could walk you a check back at my pad, back at my house. I was like, no. So we grabbed the promoter. We threw him in our van, right? <laughs> we fucking, we drive him to his house. So we get to his fucking house 
and uh, he's got this little yippy dog, and you know all this bullshit. I'm just like, you know, write us a check, you know. Like everybody else is kind of like staying in the van. Like I'm, I'm, it's my job to, tonight. It's my job tonight to be the enforcer, right? <laughs> so I get over to his pad, and I just start, you know, he's like upstairs arguing. I, I didn't think he had the money. As a matter of fact, I knew he didn't have the money, and he was trying to bullshit me. But he, I could hear, hear his wife were having a big hushed conference, you know, about what they're going to do. Meanwhile, I was going through his house, looking at his, through his medicine cabinets, see if he had any fucking drugs. You know, I go walk in the basement, and there's the whole roll of posters. That we that he got mailed months ahead of time that he's supposed to be putting up the entire roll unopened of our no. in his basement. Oh, lazy no fucker! So then, man, then you know, him and his wife came down and she's like, he's like, uh, there's some shit was said and then she said something to me, and then he was trying to not pay us. So I just fucking clocked his ass, and then fucking <laughs> his wife was you know blah blah blah. And I'm I'm not pretty. I'm not sure. I usually don't hit women, but I might have clocked her too. I don't remember. But anyways, I broke my ring. Blacked out then. I broke my favorite ring on this dude's head, you know. And it pissed me off. Finally, they came up with a check, and off we went. Yeah. You know? Okay. <laughs> well, it, that's fucking, one story. it didn't bounce, did it? You actually get that? Did that check no, cash? It was actually okay. Like his wife handed it to oh, me. Right. Yeah. You know? So, but fucking he hell. fucked up. He would have made money. I mean, I don't know if he's a promoter. He would have made money if he would have put the posters up or whatever. But he didn't. So okay. So anyways, long story short, I know that dude now. He's cool. He he went from like being real green and doing that kind of shit to like, uh, uh, you know, top top ranked sound guy. So that's cool. So he's cool. So we're cool. So the other story is okay when we were playing same same tour in Coventry. We were staying in Coventry, right? With uh with uh with Griff, the bass player, Griff, right? And so we're, we're Vitus, all these dudes were all laying on their floor in sleeping bags, right? So you had to put you had to go outside the apartment. And put money, coins in the fucking heater. You <laughs> keep the heat on in the house, right? Right, right. So that's what all night long. You know, the heat run out, stop. We hear it, everybody like eh, mumbling, groaning. You know? So, so we drank. We drank Newcastle Brown ales. We were fucking blue in the face. Newcastle like, Brown. Yeah, yeah, the middle of the night, I wake up. You know, I wake up in the middle of the night. And I got and I'm just like, oh man, I'm gonna puke. You know, but I mean, there's all these body, a sea of like people, and like I didn't think I could make it. I didn't think I could walk across everybody without. You know, it was puking on somebody or something. So I said, fuck it. So I just rolled over and I had my engineer boots, you know, that I was wearing on tour. One pair of shoes, engineer boots. I just rolled over and I puked in my boot. <laughs> I don't know what I have to do. So in the morning I wake up, we won't all wake up and there's Chandler and, and I said, man, I couldn't get it. I, I couldn't even stand. I, I, just, I just rolled over and puked in my boot. And Chandler goes, I'll give you five pounds if you put it on and wear it all day. <laughs> so I did. No. <laughs> Oh, good Lord. That must have been really quite unpleasant. Was uh, it worth a fiver? Man, th- those days were those days, man. It's like, I didn't give a yeah. Got a fiver. <laughs> Pukey boot. Punk, punk rock points is what we call that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Punk rock points. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I love I remember, I, I remember once I had, I had to throw up and I was in a car and I was spinning out and I just went, did that, you know, and puke inside your T-shirt all down yeah, your chest. You- you puke inside right. your t-shirt all down your chest and then just let the fucking t-shirt hit the chest and just wait till you get home, don't you? Yeah, that's polite. So you're being polite, you know. That's very polite. You don't want to do that in somebody yeah. else's car. On the you don't want to turn blue in somebody else's bathroom, you know. I was going, polite. stop, stop. And they were like, you were right, you were right. I was like, I'm fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's real. Yeah, I like that. So listen, man, I'm only going to ask you this just quickly because – 
I've spent a lot of day I've spent a lot of today listening to him. But um, you did a couple of things with Clutch, right? Is that did you know him back from Maryland? Yeah, did I did I did. Um, was it Brazen uh, Head? The song was Yeah, at uh, uh, everything was over. You know, the church was in. Label fell asleep on the church was in. And so at that point in time, while everything just kind of fell apart for me. I kind of ran wild. I decided I'm going to move back to Maryland. So I didn't have anything, man. I had like this little bag, pair of shorts. I had a few things in this bag. Moved back to Maryland. Took a bus back to Maryland. Um, when I got there, like, you know, I was pretty disheartened, you know. And uh, But, you know, Sherman, Dave Sherman kept calling me. Gary, they were like, come on, let's jam, let's jam. And like, we know Clutch, you know, we know the Clutch guys. And, you know, let's go out to their place and jam, you know. So those guys were real encouraging. So we went out to their clutch had a compound out in um uh West West Virginia, right over the Maryland border. And we went out there and they had this beautiful place where you could play all the gear set up, big room, you know, and we would play. And I remember that I, I started working delivering backline, and at one point in time, uh I took a Leslie rotating speaker out to them because they were doing their recording there. So that was cool, got to know them pretty good, and then um, you know, me and John Paul got to conspire a little bit. We'd always wanted to jam, you know, the drummer. And so I asked him if he, if he would play on, uh, play drums on my first electric solo record, you know, punctuated equilibrium. So he did. And that was fantastic, man. It was great. And then, uh, you know, we took that on tour a little bit, you know, John Blank, the base, our original bass player died, but we took it on the road with, with Brian White. And then, um, uh, yeah. And then me, John Paul, you know, then they asked me periodically, they would ask me to do stuff like, they asked, I played two leads on, uh, on, uh, uh, Pure Rock Fury. Pure Rock Fury. I played on a Red Horse Rainbow and I played on, uh, Raisin Head. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've got that and CD. That, I've got that CD. Yeah. And both of the songs are phenomenal songs. And I think that it, it's cool. It was really nice. <laughs> it was really cool. Like, I, I, I take it real seriously, man. You know, it's like, I wanted, you know, I didn't even smoke any weed with those guys. I just wanted to really, I wanted to just lay, lay a couple good solos down. Yeah. What what are they like? Are they do they have a laugh? Are they like really sort they of are professional super chill kind of... I mean, yeah. same dude, same lineup since fucking junior high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Super I nice think... guys in family now. You know, guitar player married, drummer's sister, and you know, the, the women run the. I think they run the merchandise business. And mm. without having a hit on the radio, I will say they're extremely successful. Yeah, I mean, I mean they never really... ever stop touring, do they? It's, it, right. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have saw them. Well, I think it was the start of this year, but I mean, they're just so good live as well. It's they're great live, fantastic. and you know that's the thing that they're they have a they have such a loyal following. You know, people just buy their merchandise. I mean, they're that's how they make a living. I mean, they sell so much fucking merchandise. It's like at the end of the tour, every dude in the band will be counting money, counting money. You know, you know, but that's cool. They've really they've really done done good. They're they're total total like you know serious sincere guys about the music john paul is a real fucking seriously good drummer oh he's, gotcha he's so uh he's so disciplined and he always challenges himself you know like he'll get up at 6 a.m if he gets up at 6 a.m he'll play his drums first thing but he'll play in six yeah you know and, oh, tomorrow i'll get up at seven and he'll play in seven you know and he's like got a really good command of that shit you know and jazz it's like that swing and, thing he's got that kind of swing isn't he he does Amazing. and that's like, that's kind of like i guess that's kind of like you know, DC area, East Coast area is kind of known for that, like that kind of like not hip hop, but uh, what do they call that? Uh, DC had it, so Chuck Brown had his own genre, not hip hop, but it was uh, 
but that kind of swinging kind of yeah uh, yeah yeah so that was a lot of fun you know, you know periodically whenever we cross paths at like big places like Hellfest, sometimes in those days they would ask me to come out and play red horse rainbow or whatever it might be that's always a, a lot of fun and then i supported them playing acoustic guitar when john blank died we were supposed to tour with them so when he died john paul calls me up and said look let's not lose the momentum from the record why don't you get on, get on the bus with us you have to pay 50 bucks a week out of your guarantee for the bus, 50 bucks a week for the bus. And then you can play acoustic guitar and support us. And I was like, whoa, that's the first time I ever did anything like that. And, you know, they come from a punk rock background, you know, and I've seen some of their early shows. I was like, wow, man, should I put a bulletproof vest on my rider playing acoustic, you know, but it turned <laughs> out it was really, really good. And, you know, I was making 500 bucks a night or 450, you know, Every night, fifty bucks off the bus. I mean, I was fucking rolling the dough, but but it was, you know, it was sad because you know our bass player died, so that was hard. You know, but it was cool. It was pretty fun, man. Playing first, playing acoustic, for supporting clutch, and all these nice supporting clutch. I mean, you know, yeah, it's rad, isn't it? <laughs> pretty, it's pretty rad. But it was also pretty daunting, you know, because I'd never done that before, and they're playing like huge fun crowds. No, you might not necessarily like acoustic, you know. I mean, I don't know. How did you go down? I'm sure you went down amazing. Went down good. Went down good. Went down good. Uh, it went down better than when I supported Zach Wild playing acoustic. That was hard. That was really hard. Was that on a, a Book of Shadows tour or something? What was it on the Book of Shadows tour or something like that? Was it was, it, was on, he was he playing acoustic? Unblacked, no. But but my, oh, my agent yeah, yeah. thought they were, and so he pitched me on the bill at really low. I think I was making five. So I, I was probably the lowest one. So they took me, but they weren't playing acoustic. They were just playing. Zach was kind of sick at that time. So he yeah. couldn't really stand up. So he would play sitting down. They did a lot of, a lot of their songs reworked. You know? Yeah. But it was electric and it was fucking hard. You know, the you know, saving grace of that whole tour, whole tour I did in a car. Me and, my, me and my girl, we did it in a car. Like we grew up in the venue, like in this little car with all my shit in this little car, mm. you know, coast to coast, you know, and they, they, the, the dude's car, they must be looking at us like, what? Have this little car. But it was cool. But then, uh, you know, Saving Grace is their bass player, so fucking cool. Uh, that he said, uh, man, let's invite me up on stage with you and let's play some blues. So I started doing that, and that was always really cool. You know, I forget his name, he's a really nice guy. And so that kind of broke the ice a little bit. So then me and him would jam. And because, you know, he was it, playing to like a thousand stony faced Zach Wild fans in like New Jersey or places like that. That was a little, that was tough. Mate, I've seen I've seen Black Label so many times, and the crowd is always so tame to what I'd imagine them to be. Yeah, because you know you they all wear the colours and they've got this kind of yeah. biker image, but they all seem so tame. I've never seen a lively Black Label crowd, and for Weird, the, right? his his music should be jumped up and down to right. I mean, it's, yeah. it's there's yeah. a lot of riffs going on, and it's great music, yeah. energetic. And I think a majority of those dudes are probably guitar players, though, because you can't deny the fact that that motherfucker is a monster guitar player. Yeah. Phenomenal guitar player. And, and so is the guy that plays, so is Dario. Yeah. The, guy that, the second guitar player the guy, is just as good, man, I swear. Dario is phenomenal. Well, they, they double up a lot of solos at the same time, don't they? And that, that's insane to watch. It's insane I mean, how, to watch can, it. how can you do that note for note? Like, yeah. I mean, right? And those <laughs> well, guys they, are like, this... Those guys are beyond. I mean, really beyond. I mean, I really enjoy that. I mean, the real trip, the trip of Zach Wilde is like the way he sets up his 
meet and greets. You look, there's like, basically the crowd lines up, you know, they pay a little bit extra. They're going to get their patch, right? So they line up. He's got these flags set up. And when you come in, he's got like basically a throne, basically. He's sitting there, like, <laughs> maybe kind of sitting there in a throne, basically, surrounded by flags. You know, their colors and all kinds of regalia. And the kid, he comes in, he walks through the column flags, goes up to our Lord Zach, and he's presented with whatever he's buying. Whether he, it's a handshake he's paid for, or maybe he, maybe he's getting his patch. Maybe he's getting his colors. I don't know. But me, me, I couldn't watch. I could never watch that. That freaked me out, man, a little bit. <laughs> did he, was he wearing the Viking helmet, all that kind of stuff? <laughs> I can't remember if he did that during the meet and greets or not, but he was a character. He was a character. The first thing he did, the very first day of the tour was knocks on my dressing room door. I hadn't met, met him yet. I mean, I met him before in passing, but I didn't really know him. Knocks on my door. I opened the door and say, hey, what's going on? He said, hey, man, it's about, you know, welcome aboard. I want, want to let you know that, you know, if you need anything, my guys will help you out. I said, cool. And then he grabs me without just suddenly grabs me and takes a selfie of us real quick. That freaked me out a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, all those guys, like, in the scene, they all, I don't want to... They fucking love you, right? You are loved by all these people, man. And you know, I've, I've been, um, I've been um, lucky. I mean, really, really lucky and fortunate to have to have friends like that, and also have you know people. Uh, well, I feel, I feel like you know, blessed to be able to bring what I bring out. You know, and people treat me with a with, people treat me with a lot of respect, and man, that that goes a long way. I mean, you know, you know, you I see- people. You treat people like you want to be treated, man. You know, if you yeah. treat the sound like an asshole, you're not going to get a good mix. You know what I mean? And, and you know, you get, get if you're an asshole on your way up, you get kicked twice as hard on your way down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, completely. That's a great. When you see the clips of you um, on the documentary shredding it, and there's so many great clips, so many great moments in so many of the great songs. I mean, you're mixing it up there with the best, aren't you? Why So credit where credit's due. We're not it's obviously kiss ass, but <laughs> you know, if they come to see Zach Wild, they've got fucking wine at the same time. They're privileged, didn't they? Oh, a hundred percent. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that a lot. I appreciate that. Yeah. Can we ask you a crazy sort question that we always ask everyone? It's like nothing to do with regular sort of interview questions, but we always ask every guest if they're gonna submit one song to outer space for any other life form to hear. Only one song that, that that the human race ever produced, or it could be one of your own works, or a favorite rock and roll track, or whatever. Just something that just sums up. Just just rocks. something you want to send up there. One track. I have to go with an English band. Yeah, and it's going to be Humble Pie, and it's going to be fucking. Uh, I don't need no doctor. Nice sending humble it. Pie. Sending it up there. That's the first time we've had humble yeah. pie. Yeah, I like that. I love it. Steve Marriott, man. Steve Marriott. You know, even Keith Richards said the same thing. Steve Marriott is one of the best voices in rock. Absolutely. You know, as well as David David Byron. You're right too. But yeah, I'd have to say humble pie. <laughs> and they're gonna love that. It's <laughs> a great answer. <laughs> right on. Right on. I know there's a rock in the film or like it's called performance. Rockin' the Fillmore, that record was Frampton on second guitar, Marriott, Frampton, the classic, the classic Humble Pie lineup. I mean, that, that record is into my top three for sure. Like that record, top three, you know, Blue Easter Cold, uh, Cheer and Invitation, that's in there. Uh, you know, uh, Hendrix, you know, maybe the Cry Love, Cry Love or something like that, maybe. 
I don't know. But definitely, definitely Humble Pie, Rocket Fillmore, and fucking uh, uh, Louis the Cope, Tyranny Mutation. I, I might maybe Razzam and Azm. I don't know, man. That's, that, it's just hard, you know. It's hard. It is hard because I mean, there's like my my top ten albums change daily because right. Right. because you like different genres, all that kind of stuff, and you know it's just it's so hard, isn't it? Someone says, yeah. "What's your favorite? What's your top three albums?" And I, I wouldn't be able to pick each day; it just changes. So. Yeah, I don't know if you're the same, but it's it's yeah. hard, isn't it? It would get harder if you said the rest won't exist anymore. <laughs> you know, even the future when it when when all vinyl is lost, all CDs are lost, and all is left is files, and someone deletes the files. Yeah, so there might there might only be a few things left. You ever right. thought about that? Yeah, I have thought about that. I also I always think about like you know, like what is it? The time capsules, right? Yeah, yeah. Put in a fucking couple of records. Throw in something weird, you know, from your day, and then that goes somewhere being buried, probably being buried or sent out into space. You know, some motherfucker coming along, digging, and, you know, a bunch of years later. Well, it, it really probably will be it because I don't think that the planet is going to be able to sustain um, material shit. I think it's going to lava out at some point. You know, it's going to have to puke, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think- get struck by an asteroid, which I think is another thing that's possibly coming. I mean, it, they talk about that in uh, Babylonian, you know, Babylonian uh, Stella. They talk about, you know, the uh, Nibiru and, you know, people, all that. I mean, I believe in a lot of that stuff, but, you know, for another. Yeah, another it's kind of weird the way that's never uh, happened. Like, I mean, how comes we only ever get tiny little rocks come through and. Why have we never been hit by a massive chunk since I've been alive? Well, I mean, right, why isn't yeah, it? Why isn't it? Yeah, I know it gets hit, and I know they get burned up. I'm not being stupid, but it's a long cycle. It's a really long cycle. Like at one point in the cycle, our Earth was struck, and that's and a piece broke off, and that's what became the Milky Way, the debris field, as I understand it. But the same planet that supposedly is coming back around. It's like a really long orbit, but it's a, it's a reverse orbit. And, but some people say that that's not a planet. That's actually, you know, the the, the craft and this, the whole myth of the deluge and all that. Like, what about what about this concept of before the moon? Because there's like written documents of, of people have done, like you know, Greek philosophers before the moon. That's that's an interesting concept. Mm. Before the moon, what is the concept then of that? Just remind me. People were people were like alive and actually writing about it you know greek philosophers you know stoic dudes or whatever you call them from the day you know that's how we know before the moon like so i don't know what i think that that needs to be investigated i need to dig in a little bit on that Mm. that's interesting it's a good album cover um album title though isn't it you know dark side of the moon this is go before the moon Whole concept was amazing, you know. It's like before the moon, tides. You know, you got your fucking werewolves. You got your menstrual cycles. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you say, um, the tides and everything. It's all you know. It's all linked, isn't it? There's a yeah. planet. Visit planet X. You can only see in certain yeah, yeah places a certain light, but you, no one knows it's there. But you can actually see it if you catch it in the right light at the right time. Is that right, Wyler? I've never heard That's of that. Correct. And also planet X. On- yeah, that depends on what hemisphere you're in, but it is definitely getting closer. Like in the States, okay, about sundown every night, 
the chemtrail planes, the little planes did not condensation. They spew shit out like chem, chem, they 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 go towards the setting sun. So every every night or every evening, the sun starts to set in America. The chemtrail planes obscure intentionally that whole area because you got to figure where you are on Earth, you you do have a limited view. Like at some point in time, something could be high up enough to where it could block out a planet really if it's big enough, right? So. They're, they're, they're trying to obscure something. And I think what it is is sooner than later, we should be able to see Planet X, you know, start starting to brim out behind the sun. And, and in some hemispheres, you can't see it. People have photographed it. So according to the Hopi prophecies, uh, when they saw the blue Kachina, we had seven years before we get hit by that. They call that the purifier. And it's in a lot of, a lot of Native American myths talk about the chances we've had and squandered. And so now, you know, the purifier is coming in. Like, so that was like a year ago. They saw the blue Kachina, uh, a, a, uh, a Hopi friend of mine called me the night out day after he said, okay, I was at the drumming. I was at the fire with the elders. We saw the, the blue Kachina, which is a star, certain star, because that means we have seven years until the purifier comes. But in that seven years, we're going to start to see all kinds of weird shit. Like we are right now. Like, Strange weather patterns that are happening in, like, you know, flooding in Arabia, flooding in, you know, the Sahara, shit like that. Uh, the Euphrates River has dried up. That's really heavy because that's a, that's biblical shit right there. So all this weird anomalies are happening. You have people, more UFOs are being seen. Weird creatures are being seen. That's mm. exactly what the prophecy says that, you know, dimensions are going to fold into one another as this planet gets closer. It's going to create a lot of mischief, earthquakes. Volcanic eruptions. We're seeing that all over the world. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe, maybe there's something to it, you know. Is that, did you say it's a Native American like prophecy? Yeah. If, if, a good, you can, if you find a video on YouTube, it's called, uh, it's called, uh, the Hopi prophecy of the blue Kachina. Right. Yeah. It, it made me, watching that made me feel a lot, a lot better. It made me feel a lot more calm about everything that's happening because, I mean, the world's going to hell in a handbasket right now. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy yeah. out there, man. People are acting more crazy than ever. Like, it's just they just people just do what they fucking want now to anyone. Like, yeah. it's just dude, in the states, there's some parts of the United States where basically crime is legal. I mean, tech, you know, not technically, but crime is legal. I mean, the police are powerless. They just loot, fucking rape, open air drug shit. Like, you know, there's a, this new drug, the fentanyl mixed with the with, the, with this other shit, so it just freezes people in mid air. I've seen that. I've seen that. The clips like, down to Philadelphia, the clips of yeah, the people yeah. in there. They're like zombies, mate. All bent they're over. Just like, and Bent over just like frozen fucked. there, right? Yeah. yeah they're making fentanyl with some kind of like, I mean, how out of it do you want to get? Fentanyl gets you so out of it as it is. I mean, you want to, now you want to mix this crazy. Like, is it called spice or something when it's mixed together? Don't it's know. like they call it, they call it, uh, they call it they're, trank. They're a trank, yeah. They're half dressed, right. didn't they? They're all half dressed, half bent over, just skinny. They're just fuck, and they yeah. get really bad injuries where they've been bent in these weird positions for so long. <laughs> it's it's crazy, I mean, you gotta feel sorry for them, but they are literally. It's like watching like like zombies, like hey, out, like Shaun of the Dead. Like, fucking, you so know, and this is all. This is all part of. This is all part of the fact that. The United States, okay, the United States is not a republic, not a federation, not a fucking democracy. The United States is a foreign-owned corporation. Foreign-owned corporation. There's, there's more than one constitution because you have United States Incorporated, 
Inc., the corporation. Then you have the United States as the sovereign state, okay? But so now you have these two entities. The corporate entity rules. The United States is still under British maritime law. That's like why you see the gold fringe around, the flag. That's like why everything has to do with the water. You know, the birth, the vessel, the fucking docket of the court. You know, that kind of shit. And, uh, you know, liberty. Liberty does not mean freedom. You know what I mean? Liberty is like when you are able to go ashore on another on a foreign country, you know, you're allowed to do that. That's liberty. Like, it's not freedom. So, you know, a lot of people don't really understand the mechanisms of the law as it's written in the Constitution of America and the real law, which is these motherfuckers, like, usurping as in, in the form of a corporation. And they're, they're laughing all the way to the bank. The Federal Reserve is not federal. The Federal Reserve is completely private. They tell the mint, they tell the, the, the mint how much money to mint. And then they sell it back to the fucking government with interest. It's the biggest and most, it's the most prolific and biggest scam ever. They, all the bankers met, you know, Jekyll Island and they planned it out. The whole Federal Reserve thing, you know, Britain, Britain being a, a pretty relatively small island still has a monarchy as just does Holland and Belgium. Now, that's why Britain is super powerful. Britain, like basically you get Britain. The Vatican and, you know, these uh, Bilderberg groups and the Committees of 300, part of the black nobility of, you know, the Italian line, they run the world. You know, the the fucking presidents are just puppets, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, During during the COVID pandemic over here, the the people running this country were just... Oh, pathetic, like pathetic, <laughs> like they just yeah. were just lying, lying, yeah. lying, 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 pathetic yeah. creatures. Yeah, right. I can't believe you, I can't believe the fucking word they say now. Not one yeah. thing. It's unreal. It's that's all I do. It's like it's like the dude who was like the the English guy who was he was uh he was in the office. Uh, he was the guy responsible for promoting the vaccine. Like he's the health guy, or whatever. And like he was like you know from like trying to tie it into like football slogans, all that shit. Right. Well, that dude just went to work for Moderna. There you go. That's, government, yeah, that's crazy. Now he's working for Moderna. God. God. Crazy, right? That's uh, some crazy goes, shit. It's crazy shit. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, all the corners. See, they've got the media is completely locked off over here. The media is locked down. Nothing gets through the media that's not the narrative. Nothing. I mean, even Fox News. Fox News and CNN are both owned by the same person. Rupert Murdoch and you know, his family, like they own both. It's just BlackRock owns, you know, everything too. So it's like you think you have like uh you think you have two competing entities. Oh good, you know, there's still you know healthy business competition left. No. Pepsi and Coke, no, they're all owned by BlackRock. Everything owned by BlackRock. Everything. Wow. Everything. So you gotta figure, you know, they're setting the prices, they're manipulating the fucking, you know, the stocks. You know, they're they're you know, they're manipulating the gas, all that type of shit. I mean so much of what we see, you know, is is theater. Yeah, but it's embarrassing now because they're not very good at it anymore, are they? No, they're it's, just they're just, being embarrassed. They're, they're kind of they're kind of not not even trying anymore. It's almost like, okay, we just do whatever we want to and just kind of laugh about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, my eyes roll when I take it a little bit farther, but I think that it's because that the reason that some of these people were if you want to call them people, 
don't have any compassion. They're not really they're not really trying to help their countrymen. Yeah, that's where I was kind of getting at. Yeah, because no compassion is there. You just know right, they I don't care. You know they I don't think, care. I think that's because their bloodline. I think that their bloodline, partially from another race of beings, that is is com- completely compassionless and really feeds on misery and fear. I think that they, you know, that bloodline has filtered down and spread and spread and spread because they're all fucking related. All of them are related. Like Bush is related to fucking, you know, the, the fucking Windsors. The Windsors are related to the fucking, you know, the Sinclair, all the way back to fucking like Vlad the Impaler over here and Sinclair over here. You know what I mean? They're all fucking related. And mm. it's like, it's a bloodline. It's given us every war that we've ever fucking had. Yeah. Bloodlines that are doing all this shit like, there's, you know, basically the bloodlines said, you know, when the Balfour British, when they gave Palestine to the Zionists before the war, right? It didn't happen after the Holocaust. They'd already given it because they knew the Holocaust was going to happen. Just like, you know, just like when Lemmy told me, he said, Lemmy was the first person to tell me, like, Churchill and Roosevelt both knew the Japanese were on their way to bomb Pearl Harbor. But they let it happen. Mm-hmm. And they both went went on little vacations because they needed that to happen so they could get in the war. Yeah. So everybody could make money selling armament to both sides and it hasn't stopped. No, that's crazy. Let me wow. told you that, yeah. Yeah, let me tell me that. First person tell me that. He was a character, wasn't he? Oh yeah, man, what a goddamn what a great guy. Did you meet him a few times? You got many lemon lemon stories. This time, this particular time, I met him in this little sleazy fucking strip joint on Hollywood Boulevard called Jumbo's Clown Room. <laughs> what night? So he was wearing, went in there, it's a tiny as bar, get the beer, and there he was wearing a Prussian officer's military uniform, complete with like the apolles, the fucking hat. I mean, he didn't have the fucking spiked hat, you know, but it's Russian officer, complete, like from the day, like, like you know, Prussian, like from the Prusso-Hungarian cool. days, you know, like he's just out in a strip club wearing it, wearing that shit, wearing the jacket. Like that's what he told me. We started talking, and that's when we got into some philosophical shit. And then he told me about he just got the book on that, the Pearl Harbor thing, you know. Mm. And that's like you know, actually, that right there, that meeting right there with him, and a few other things that happened to me right around the same time is really what kind of jump started my whole thing with you know. Just not believing it. Thing the government says at that point, like, why are they lying about this? What you know, they're publishing this, but it's wrong. You know, you know, yeah. Then I started getting really deep. Then I started buying, getting into like, uh, you know, some some of these really great British uh, anth- archaeological or anthropology, like uh, fingerprint of the gods, uh, fingerprint of the gods, where the guy the guy proved that the Sphinx was way older than than the books say, and they did that by hiring a geologist. And they analyzed the Sphinx. They could tell by the stone that it was once in a tropical climate. So basically, it was like, I'm trying to remember his name now. Uh, English guy, great guy. I bought a bunch of his books. But they, you know, there's always been some really great English, uh, you know, investigative authors that have really opened up a lot of doors for me. Like, you know, you know really, really good shit. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you read a lot? Do you like reading? I, I do. I do. Yeah. I don't like to read fiction that much. You know, occasionally I'll read fiction like, I like underground comic books, like from the '60s, you know, like uh, S. K. Wilson or Robert Williams type shit. 
uh, Rob Crumb, you know. Mm, mm. But um, but yeah, I like, I like to read biographies and, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I know you're writing one. Yeah, I'm writing one. It's you all love true. a biography. I this do. man loves a biography. God, my bookshelf is like all. is all music bios. He's got I all. love them. I Killer. Love them. You know what? I just I just got um, I just got Ian uh, Ian Hunter's book mm-hmm. Rockstar from way back in the Mount Hoople days. I thought it was going to be all debauchery and shit. The whole none of those things even party. All they did was go around to pawn shops in the United States and buy Les Paul Juniors for dirt cheap, take them back to England. Man, it's fucking great. It's like I never knew that. I was expecting this whole you know lifestyle, not the hoople. But not, those dudes didn't even really party or drinking nothing. But they would go out to these pawn shops in America and just scour for cool guitars. That's yeah, bad. Yeah. Those that books genius cool. are cheap, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, up and down with the Rolling Stones is probably my is probably the best rock and roll lifestyle book I've ever read. Up oh, I've never read that, so I'm gonna have to check that out now. You've said Yeah, that. yeah. Tony Sanchez, written by Tony Sanchez. He was the guy that could get their drugs for him. No, so okay. he them. Yeah. I mean, dude, that book is off the hook. Oh wow, I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah, it was a detail about that. you know, Brian Jones' death, you know. Because yeah, that's it's a really heavy. It's just really heavy. it covers Altamont. The whole, the whole fucking seventies, all the way up to like when they were, you know, when when they Keith got they got their Keith got his pad ripped off in France, you know, dealing with the the, the French connection, the Marseille mafia. French dudes were bringing him pure heroin to his uh, via in France because they had to escape the taxes in England, and then, and then when they came back up tour, the the, the dudes had ro- cleaned up the whole pad, robbed him blind. You know, they went over there and sold some heroin. And when they went on tour, they went back and robbed robbed the whole house. You know, <laughs> crazy. Okay. It's a good book, really good book, man. Yeah, yeah. awesome, mate. I'll definitely check that out. I, I like um, Slash's autobiography. That was really good as well. It was. Yeah, I mean, I you can that imagine movie. that's quite. You know, there's there's some t- there's some tales in that. Yeah, yeah, I need to get that. Sure, it's uh, a really good book. It's well written. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. who else? I re- Marky Ramone's book is good. Right. Because he used to be in that band Dust, mm-hmm. which is badass. I mean, they were like fucking weird, cool, seminal, like and underground. That's cool. I, I like that. I like you know, I really, I really like the Dolls a lot. Like you had Motley Hoople from England, and you had the Dolls, you know. And uh, that was this was two like seminal glam bands, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started really started going. I think Motley Hoople might have even been before the Dolls, maybe. Possibly. Well you well you all had T Rex too. Can't forget about old T Rex. No, of course yeah. not. Of course not. Do you yeah. do you listen to a lot of newer music today, like um, you know, like newer bands? I do, I do sometimes. I mean whenever I'm asked that question, I find it hard to bring bring up the ones I like to I do like some stuff. Uh I mean I listen to Clutch. Yeah. Uh, we listen to I listen to like I still like, you know, King Crimson, Fripp stuff, uh some Prague. Uh what else would I like these days? There's a lot of great, there's a lot of great heavy bands like Center Band, like, you know, Heavy Temple or, uh, just, you know, bands in that genre that, that, that I like. Um, yeah. I mean, it's got to grab, you know, it's, it's got to grab me, man. It's really got to reach out and grab me. Not yeah. much stuff does, but, you know, when it does, I, I'm loyal. I'll dig it. Yeah. Check out Green Lung. I think you'd like them. Green Lung? Yeah. Okay. All right. They got cool. a new album out, but it's, I think you'd quite like them. They're from, uh, no, I don't know where they're from, actually, but um, yeah, check them out. Sure. Okay, yeah. I will. I will. Cool. I have to check them out as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who else? Who, what, what other? Who else? What other good good new bands? Oh, blimey. 
What you got? You're, put, you're putting him on the spot, and he's putting you on the spot. <laughs> but see, but see, the thing is, I can never ask that question either. Like, uh, it's draw black, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, Green Lung come to my mind straight away because I saw they, I saw them supporting Clutch. Okay, and they were incredible. Um, they've got kind of like. I don't know. There's almost there's almost. I mean, it's it's obviously very heavy stoner kind of rock, but there's there's almost like folk elements in it as well. It's kind of hard to explain, but um, I definitely cool. think you'd dig them. I'll send you a link. Okay, cool, awesome. That sounds great. <laughs> I see that acoustic guitar back there. What's that? Oh, that's oh, that's um, that's my bass player's. It's an acoustic bass. Cool. I don't know what it is, but yeah. uh, a few of my Les Pauls back there. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Les Paul, man, way to go. Yeah, man. You got to love a Les Paul, wouldn't you? I've got a couple of them. I mean, I've, I've got a seven, a nineteen eighty custom, and I've got a, uh, I've got a nineties studio, and I've got a, uh, uh, and I've got a uh, an EGC Les Paul shape guitar, the aluminum one, and uh, yeah, I've got after I just, I have a bunch of like. Uh, Cheaper guitars, like I've got a K Speed Demon, I've got like an Italian Juliet crazy ass thing, and uh, yeah. And what I've got my most, what's your kind of go to studio guitar? Like, what did you mostly record like the new album with? Electric, my, mm. my Paul Custom. But nice. I also use. I also have a really cool Strat. It's not. A, it's not a stock Strat. It's like a. It's an old. It's an old Strat body from the day. I think from like sixties. Then it's got like uh, an aftermarket neck on it, strat neck, but it's real slutty neck, man. Like I don't give a fuck. It just feels so good. And then I put a uh, three uh, uh, when when um, uh, not Bill Lawrence, but when uh, God, man, the main pickup company, Seymour Duncan. When Duncan came out with these these single, they look like single chords, but they're deeper. They're, so it's like a humbucker, okay. a single chord style. And they had this. They had double blades on each one. They came as a three piece. Like in the middle one was red. Two black red. They're hotter than fuck. The hot rails, I think they're called. So I put that on the Strat, and then I put a five-position switch on there. And that guitar is pretty much... I use that guitar a lot on that record, too. I mean, I, use, I play it live. I mean, people are surprised, but, I mean, I can get a lot of... You can get a lot of low end out of that guitar, you know? Mm. It's not stock mm. electronics is what it is. And an old resident, real old resident wood, like old body wood, you know? No primer. It's like it had one thin layer of, like, nitrocellulose and this black nitrocellulose and... That chips off of just just the bare wood, you know. I think that's like you know, guitar is really breathing. You know? Oh yeah, oh that sounds amazing. What about um, what did you play through? I play through. Uh, well, I, I'm I'm a big fan of like '70s Sun Model Ts, but now what I'm using is I'm using I'm being endorsed by a guy named Andy, uh, whose company is called Solar, and basically what it is it's a it's a clone of a combination of a Marshall mm-hmm. JMP preamp section with a Model T. So it's got four sixty-five fifties, which is pretty beefy tubes. You know, I mean, English amps traditionally use EL thirty-fours, which mm-hmm. are cool. But uh, you know, the American amps like the SVT and some of the big Fenders and the Sun, they all they use the big KT, either KT eighty-eights or sixty-five fifty tubes. But it's a beast, man. You know, it's, it's a fucking beast. It's like two hundred watts, but it's got a little bit more gain on there for me. Uh, so I use those, and I also use. Uh, we use uh, I use a Marshall JMP that he's got in the studio. I think it's a, I think it's maybe a late sixties or seventies something. Mm-hmm. So that's like a you know a hundred watt head with a with a massive volume preamp. Yeah, 
We use those like those. I mean, they all sound different. Marshalls all sound different. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've got mine. So fifty watts as a rule it seems to me like you get a good fifty watt from the day. Yeah, seventies like fifty watt JMP. Chances are it's probably going to sound pretty good. I would imagine. Yeah, mine's a JCM two thousand, but uh, when I bought it, they, they've they've sort of they've become something that like a lot of um like amp collectors want now you know they go for they can go can go for a lot more money than what i paid for it but i mean i'd never sell it because you know the you know with the jcm 2000 the little deep the deep button yeah it says deep and you're pressing that button to get the low end yeah oh, that's that's when i when i couldn't get it that, that always stays pushed in <laughs> yeah right i mean that's what makes that episode so good i think Kicks in that automatic low end EQ or whatever. I used to use his amps when I couldn't get anything else. Like we fly into cities, you know, we're trying to fly into every city. We use rental gear every night. And so I'd always ask for either they never would have a Model T, and I didn't really like playing through oranges, so I would ask for a JCM two thousand. I'd have that little button. That would work. They're yeah. good amps, man. They're yeah. good amps. I agree. <laughs> it's interesting how, like England. It's interesting how England became the amp standard for the world and America became the guitar basically you had Gibson and mm. Fender then you have Marshall and Orange and you know all the offshoots of Mad Amp and all the cool British amps you know yeah so but was, I mean a lot of guitarists now are obviously like using the modelers and stuff but they're not even using amps anymore right like I mean Metallica don't even use amps live it's you know it's it's crazy like but easy for them I suppose. In, in, in a way, you could potentially be more. I mean, these days, I mean, the technology is so great that, you know, you can't really tell the difference between an analog, you know, an analog rig and, and a digital rig. Mm. You might go to a little bit, maybe, you know, if it's really specialized. But like downstairs right now, Jason's got his, his Kemper and, uh, and he's got, a, you know, he's got his home studio and he's got that loaded up with Soldano presets. So it's like we could go guitar right in, in quarter inch into his Kemper. That's all you need, man. You, you know, just yeah. for acoustic, beautiful delays. And yeah, so we, we used that on the new record. We did like the record kind of rolls together. Occasionally it'll, it'll stop. Songs will stop for you know, certain songs, but as a rule, it kind of like leads together. And like we used the Kemper, Jason did some really cool shit with the Kemper in between songs and some de-pitching stuff and some kind of, yeah, you'll see. Yeah, I'll send you the. I'll send you a copy for Please do. We're yeah. very excited to hear it. Send it over, man. We yeah. got his email. That'd be fucking sweet. Yeah, yeah you got just one thing I ask is you listen to it super fucking loud. No, of course. Oh, no, put them on these. Put, we'll put them on these speakers here. And it doesn't leave the rent. It doesn't leave your. Leave you. You know, it doesn't doesn't go anywhere to anybody else. And yeah, no, no way. of course ne- not. Never. Of course never. not. It'd be a privilege to be able to be one of the few people who get to hear it before it's released. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. Well, I know what we'll do is we'll wrap it up just because it's been going on ages, and I know you want to get on with your jam and your food and stuff. Yeah, and Thanksgiving, man. Thanks so much for coming on. It's been, it's been a great it. chat. Yeah, I apologize. I apologize for uh, you know for uh, you know the time before. It's just please just don't. Got... It's honestly, it's not it's, a problem. It's no problem. Man. We just, I just, we, we just sat here and um, he taught me how to play cold gin and. Uh, <laughs> Because cool. I, I asked him. It's so simple, mate. So we had a laugh anyway. And just it was, mucking around learning how to play coaching. Yeah. 
Right, cool. It was a, it was a couple of hours of uh, not being told what to do, but owned by the women. So. Yeah. <laughs> I just sat here, bit of boy yeah. time, guitaring. Right. You gotta right, be there Gotta be there more often. Yeah, mate. Yeah, we just 100%. what we just do is start booking in fake podcasts so we can come down and learn some more kiss. Yeah. That's cool. it. Right on. All right, well, brother. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you yeah, for coming see on. See you later. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right. Have Thank a great you. day. Cheers. Hey, hey, man. Cheers, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. With the bears, the